One of my favorite children's films is Inside Out. The second favorite film is Bolt, but I don't want to explain why. But the first favorite film of mine is Inside Out. How many of you know this little uh, kid's film? Okay, if you haven't, I recommend it to you. I don't know all of what's in it, so I have to be careful what I recommend because I get in trouble for recommending things. But as I recommend generally uh, the good parts of this uh, children's movie, and the thing that's really interesting to me about this movie is it's funny and it's instructive. For those of you who are not fully aware of the film, it's the story of Riley, who's an 11-year-old girl who moves from Minnesota to San Francisco, and the film deals with her internal emotions, therefore inside out. And she has a host of things going on inside of her, and those emotions become the main characters of the film, like joy and sadness and fear. And there's one character named Anger. He has a white shirt, tie, and slacks. He's supposed to look respectable, but his red head gives him, is a tell of what he's like. And when he gets really angry, his head actually lights on fire. Actually, let me, let me show you. Riley, if you don't eat your dinner, you're not gonna get any dessert. Wait, did he just say we couldn't have dessert? That's anger. He cares very deeply about things being fake. So that's how you wanna play it, old man? No dessert? Oh, sure, we'll eat our dinner right after you eat this! Right, right. Here comes an airplane. Oh, airplane. We got an airplane, everybody. So, you can see the extremes, right? Just incredible frustration and anger because anger is mostly concerned about what is fair. No dessert, not fair, blows a stack and then flips right back to this normal, calm demeanor. And what you see in the film, kind of comically, is what you know tragically to be true in your own life. And that is that anger can get the best of us almost instantaneously. Put a little pressure into the mix, a little global pandemic, uh, some things that throw up, our, or throw up, good word to use, on social media, uh, whatever it is that you hear a friend say, a text that you're a little bit like, I don't understand what that means, how come there's no emoji on it? And before you know it, Anger can just take over, and then you say things and do things that are just wrong. How many things in your lifetime can you look back on and realize that anger really simply got the best of you? Today what we're gonna talk about is this issue of anger and to see what the Bible says about good anger, sinful anger, and what to do about anger. So today, the three things that we're gonna examine are, what is anger? I wanna give you a helpful definition. Secondly, when is anger sinful? And third, how do we defeat anger? So what is anger? When is anger sinful? And third, how do we defeat anger? So first, what is anger? Our text says, slow to speak, slow to anger. It's interesting, isn't it, that James doesn't say, don't be angry. He says, slow to anger. It's interesting that we wouldn't think normally of anger and speech to kind of be in the same category in terms of their neutrality. For instance, when I use the word, or when you hear the text, slow to speak, you kind of naturally know there's good words and there are bad words. But speaking in and of itself 
isn't necessarily bad in and of itself, but anger is not quite like that. There's a general bias to assume that it's wrong. But I wanna suggest to you that it's much more like speaking than what we realize, that there is in fact good anger and bad anger. There can be sinful anger and there can be righteous anger. You need to know that anger, by definition, is linked to unfairness. While the Greek word used in verse 19 can be translated as anger, wrath, fury, or punishment, you need to know that it can be used both positively and negatively to address something that's simply not right. What's more, anger is connected to love and a sense of concern. So what I love are the things that when they are taken away or they're negatively impacted, I'm more inclined to be angry about. The things that I don't care about, I don't get angry about. But the things that really matter to me, the things that I'm passionate about, the things that I really love, the things that I really want, now that stuff, that's where anger comes into play. Show me what makes you angry and I'll show you what you love. Somewhere underneath your anger is an affection issue. Alistair Groves and Winston Smith, in their helpful book, Untangling Emotions, say this, anger says that is wrong. It is fundamentally, it is a fundamentally moral emotion. In fact, you could say it's the moral emotion. When you are angry, what is happening inside is this. Your heart is observing the scene before you and crying out that something you love is being treated unjustly. So you need to know that God is described as being angry, and righteously so. In fact, we ought to be grateful that God is angry, and we ought to understand the difference between his anger and ours. A few examples, Romans 1, verse 18, for the wrath, there it is, of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And then Revelation 19, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. So if you're listening today and you're not yet a Christian, you need to know that the whole reason that Jesus died on the cross was in order to appease the righteous wrath of a holy God. When God is holy and then people or society violate his holiness, that produces righteous anger, appropriate anger. In fact, you ought to be thankful that God is righteously angry because when things are done wrong to you, you would hope that those things would be made right. And to balance the scales of divine justice, Jesus comes in order to die for our sins so that the wrath of God might be appeased. And that wrath isn't sinful wrath, that's justified wrath. Jesus, in Mark chapter three, looks at the Pharisees and in their hypocrisy, the Bible says that he being grieved at the hardening of their hearts, he was angry with them. He looked at them with anger. So you can think of anger as this. Anger, therefore, is the emotion that simply confronts something that's wrong. It's the zeal to do what's right 
because something isn't right. It's the zeal to do what's right when something isn't right. And so in that respect, anger can both be righteous and it also can be commended. For example, the Bible tells us to be angry. For instance, in Ephesians chapter four and verse 26, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Again, Alistair Groves writes this, anger seeks justice. Specifically, it protects what it loves and it punishes any who harm its beloved and it seeks to reverse the damage. So you need to know that that anger has some layers and some complications to it, that there are times that our anger can be sinful. We'll talk about that in a moment. What I'm trying to establish here is that there are times when anger is not only righteous, but there are times when to not be angry would actually be sinful. For example, maybe you know the trauma, not only of someone doing something sinfully to you, but you know the trauma of somebody not taking action sinfully for you, not defending you, not being angry on your behalf. Some of you know what it's like to have people who you love not stand up for you. Or maybe you're the victim of abuse and people knew what was going on, but no one got angry. No one did anything. So you could be sinful by actually not being angry, or you can also be sinful by having some sort of emotional indifference to something. For instance, let's take the issue of abortion. The killing of innocent children can, be some, can become so culturally familiar that we've lost the shock or the anger. We should be angry, but we're not. Or when it comes to racial or ethnic issues, there's a temptation for some of us to marginalize the conversation instead of looking at a scenario and saying, man, that's not right. And anger should cause us to act in the cause of what's right. It's the emotion of action when something is wrong. Now, in the subject regarding race and ethnic tension in particular, I know for some of you that raises another question, and it's a good one, and it's this. What if you're not sure that something is wrong and someone else is convinced that it is? And that happens. See something on the news, and you just, you're just not sure. And this is especially challenging as it relates to racial incidents. One group cries injustice, while the other isn't sure because it isn't quite clear yet. So what do you do? Well, this is, I've tried to argue this previously, so I wanna remind you, this is where I think that empathy, sympathy, and lament actually can help. I think it helps the one who is facing injustice and the one who thinks there's injustice and the one who wonders that there's injustice. What do you do in that moment? It is, the Bible calls us to weep with those who weep, to grieve over a broken world while still waiting for what is true and what is actually just to be known. So I would argue then that lament is better than indifference. Some of you may know that in June, I 
released a second book called Weep With Me, How Lament Opens the Door for Racial Reconciliation, and I asked the publisher for permission to do something for you as a church, but I've waited until now to announce it because over the last couple months, we have been responding as elders to questions about what we're not saying. So we had to issue a elder statement on racial injustice, help you understand we're not saying that we're embracing critical race theory, hard stop, we're not. It's an ungodly, secular worldview. At the same time, you may be wondering, well, but how do you, how do you thread this needle? So I spent the last three months trying to explain in lots of different venues what we're not saying. And if you wanna know what I'm trying to say, I wrote 40,000 words about what I'm trying to say. And uh, the publisher graciously has allowed that digital book and the audio version of that to be available to our church for free. So if you go on our church's website, yourchurch.com forward slash free book, there it is. You can read the book, you can um, thank you, praise God for them, their generosity. And if you're a small group and you wanna have a conversation about this, read the book, listen to the audio, and I'd love to gather with a couple small groups via Zoom or in person if we can and answer questions that you have. But how do you thread this needle trying to help the conversation instead of going like this to actually go like this? And what does it mean to weep with those who weep so we can live in harmony with one another? Because gospel unity creates racial harmony. So the challenge is that when we think of the issue of anger, it's incredibly complicated. The challenge isn't just anger's mere presence. The challenge isn't whether or not you're angry. The question is, why are you angry? And then what does it look like? In some cases, it could be sinful to be angry. In some cases, it could be sinful to not be angry. So, that's what anger is. Secondly here, what then is sinful anger? First, James commands being slow to anger. So we could safely say that the kind of anger that he has in mind is the kind that is rash, the kind that is out of control. Think, for instance, of the things that you've said or done. I've got a long list of them where just my, there was no filter. It just came out because I was so frustrated or in the moment of being angry, it feels as though you're just out of control. The Bible tells this, us this about God when he's angry. The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed this, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Aren't you thankful that God is slow to anger? Could you imagine if he was angry like you're angry? <laughs> Could you imagine if his wrath paralleled your wrath? The Bible is full with cautions about being quick-tempered so if you're somebody who you tend to lose your cool more quickly, just listen to these verses. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anybody else struggle having soft words when they're in an angry conversation? Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Proverbs 17, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So the Bible cautions here about having a quick fuse, quick temper. But I want you to know that anger isn't just about loud words and actions. 
There's another kind of anger that we need to talk about because a lot of church people have this kind of anger. It's an anger that hides behind kindness and sweetness. It's more passive, but it is aggressive. Do you know the Bible speaks to this? Here's some examples. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Or Psalm 28, three, do not drag me off with the wicked and the workers of evil who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Or Psalm 62, four, they bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Do you know this form of anger? It's bitterness, this internal resentment that burns towards someone else. Sometimes it results in you giving the person the silent treatment. At other times, it could look like more sort of passive, aggressive behavior. It looks like withholding affirmation, not following through when they've asked you to do something, using words that minimize a consistent, sarcastic tone, or then responding as if you're always misunderstood. No, 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 you don't understand what I'm saying. You're not hearing me. See, there are expressions of both active anger and passive anger. So just think of the last week. What are the situations in your life that kind of tripped your breaker, the things that made you mad, the things that you were ready to say, the way in which you were ready to rumble, and the ways in which you instead retreated and pouted? the ways that you gave people sort of the Heisman, pushed them off. Think of those moments perhaps that you were online this week or a text that you were tempted to send or an email. You know, our present environment doesn't help us with anger. In the middle of a global pandemic, there's all kinds of pressure. Add internet and social media into the mix. It's a deadly cocktail. I, I used to think that the internet was sexually dangerous, and it still is. But you know what I'm also discovering? That the internet is emotionally dangerous. It's not just sexually dangerous, it's emotionally dangerous. In fact, I'm as concerned about the emotional damage as I now, as I now am about the sexual damage. Chris Martin, a marketing editor at Moody writes this, like fish cannot escape water and live on dry land, the social internet is so woven into our modern world that escaping it and existing outside the social internet is virtually impossible. Honestly, he says, the best we can do is recognize that the water in which we swim is toxic. The water is very much not fine. In other words, you need to know how to deal with anger because we live in an angry culture. He then writes this, our job is to do what we can to clean up the water and not add to its toxicity. Recognize that Facebook serves you content with the intent to cause you to engage. That political post you receive in your feed, Facebook knows it will fire you up and lead you to comment. Resist that urge. That sensual picture that appears in your Instagram Explore tab is served to you because Instagram knows you will look at it. Be a smart fish, resist the bait. Some of you need to put on your screen this week, be a smart fish. It's not in the Bible, but it's really helpful. Be a smart fish. There's more in this text. Verse 20 tells us something after the word for. 
It not only says, be slow to anger, but then it says for. Whenever you see the word for in the Bible, what, what follows after it is an explanation of what was just posited and said. The word is a marker for an explanation of what he's just communicated. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Produce, produce. It doesn't produce. What anger does is anger is action-oriented. It desires to do something, to accomplish something. That's, that's what happens. You get angry because you want to do something. When it's righteous anger, it desires righteous justice. When it's sinful anger, it desires self-justification. Sinful anger is our attempt to control whatever it is that we want. Just think of the last time that you got into a heated argument with someone. And just think of how control factored into that moment. If, if you replay the conversation, you'll find that at some point that you were having a conversation and it was no longer merely the exchange of ideas and words, but suddenly the other person started getting heated and why do you feel like you need to get heated? Because you're afraid that if they get heated and you don't, you're going to lose. They can't have that advantage. And in that moment, you wanted something and you are used, willing to use anger to get what you want. Underneath our anger is this desire for control. It's part of the reason why our world and our culture is so angry at right now, because we have so little control. And so in our clamor to do something, like I, I can't figure out how to do this, so I'm gonna do something, which is I'm gonna be angry. <laughs> And it's our attempt to try and regain control of our lives. But the text says the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, my sinful anger is incompatible with God's goals for my life. So when I'm struggling with being angry, one of the questions that I have to ask myself is whose agenda am I living for in this moment? Because underneath sinful anger is this agenda battle. Lurking underneath is this agenda issue between God's plan and my plan, between God's ways and my ways. And anger tends to surface when my agenda collides with God's agenda. And since I don't have ultimate control of things, what happens is I use anger as a means to try and get what I want. It's a subversive plan to take God's place. It could look like a blow up. It could also look like passive aggressive behavior, nonverbal cues. Some of us can communicate that we're angry without even saying a word. Like your kids know, like, ooh, dad's angry. They didn't, even, they didn't even say anything. It's just kind of in the aura around him. Or mom, same thing. You walk in the room and friend or your husband asks, how are you? You just use one word and everybody knows you're angry. You say, fine. And you're like, oh no, mom said fine. Like, DEFCON 4, DEFCON 4, we're at fine. This is not good. And the reality is you're not good, but you just use fine to try and communicate that you're good when the fact of the matter is, is you're not. Anger is dangerous. But you know what would be really scary is if you were listening right now with someone else in mind. Some of the scariest people in the world are the people who don't know how angry they are. They justify their anger, 
They disguise it. They hide it with their silence, with their tears. So if you're listening and you're a Christian and there's any sense within you that says, you know what, I need to keep working on anger, praise God for that. You ought to be so thankful. If you're listening and you're like, I got this anger thing nailed, be very worried. In fact, that makes me very angry that you would think that. <laughs> Actually, it makes me scared for you because sometimes angry people are so self-deluded. So that's what anger is. That's when it's sinful. Here's the third thing. How do we defeat anger? I wanna give you a simple equation that's been helpful in my own life and I used this about six or seven years ago with our church. Do you remember as a kid in elementary school that when they were talking about fire safety, that they said if you were to catch on fire, which just was a kind of freak out thought of a kid on fire, but they're like, if you were to catch on fire, here's what you ought to do, right? So they had my attention in elementary school, like catch on fire. Ah. What they don't want you to do is to run. Right? Why run? Why running would be a bad idea? Because you're going to add all kinds of oxygen into the equation, the fire's gonna get bigger. So what did they tell you in elementary school to do if you caught on fire? To stop, drop, and roll. Really simple equation to get you to stop what you're doing, drop on the ground, and roll to try and knock out the fire. I wanna to suggest to you three quick steps that you could take when you're angry. Stop, think, and seek. Stop, think, and seek. And my hope is that sometime this week, when you're tempted to be angry, you'll remember this moment, and you'll stop, you'll think, and you'll seek. Stop. My pastoral counsel to you would be this. When you're angry, whatever it is that you're doing, stop. Stop talking. Stop driving, stop texting, stop emailing, stop posting. Whatever it is that you're doing, stop. If you're moving, stop. Anger lives in a realm of action. And if you can simply recognize, I'm angry, and realize where it's headed when it's sinful, it's extremely helpful to be aware that this could actually go to a place that I don't want it to go, or this is heading a direction that would not be helpful. Because typically, anger is unreasonable. And so simply, if you can recognize the, the challenge of what it means to be angry and to stop. Secondly, think. Consider your heart, ask yourself, if you can, to stop long enough to ask yourself this penetrating question. What is it that I want? And see if you can name it. I wanna be understood. I want you to listen to me. I wanna be treated fairly. I want you to love me. I don't want this to happen. I wanna be in control of my life. I don't want all these issues, these restrictions. And simply to ask yourself, what is bothering you? And if you get to the point where you can identify that, you're then able to apply the scriptures to what it is that you're thinking. The trouble is, is that anger, when it's sinful, blows through those categories so quickly. It doesn't stop, it doesn't think, it just takes action. And before you know it, before you know it you've done incredible damage. Stop, think, third, seek, 
the solution to anger is to talk to God in prayer. Sinfully angry people don't pray. Why do, you, why do sinfully angry people need to pray? They're gonna take their own vengeance. They're gonna say what they want to say. They're not gonna appeal to the Almighty Father for help. Seeking means that you turn to him in prayer. You tell him your complaint. Again, this is where the language of lament is super helpful. The Bible is filled with angry prayers offered to God where people are not angry at God, but rather they're angry because what's happening to them and they're saying, God, would you help me? I'm turning to you and I'm taking this mess of my heart and I'm laying it before you. The, the verse that I read to you about smooth as butter but war was in his heart, that's from Psalm 55. It's a lament psalm where the psalmist is talking to God about betrayal of somebody who was close to him and he ta talks to God about how hard it is to live in that space. Stop, think, seek. Remember that the Bible says, Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay. So sinful anger is incompatible with the gospel. Do you know why? Because the gospel message simply that Jesus came to save sinners proclaims that God has a plan for the universe to save undeserving sinful people. At the core of what the gospel is, is God's application of grace to your life, which was horribly unfair. If you and I had gotten what we deserved, we would not have the redemption through Jesus. And because of the grace of God then given to us, then we can relate not only to God, but also to one another in a way that's different. The gospel shatters our understanding of fairness and reshapes it in light of who Jesus is so that grace through Christ is now seen as the way that I see the world. The gospel then frees me to embrace unfairness and to go into moments of unfairness for others and to advocate for them and to do it the right way. The gospel frees me to lay my petitions at the feet of Jesus while at the same time to be an advocate for those who are facing hardship and something that's not right. So when something tempts me to be sinfully angry, I need to stop and think and seek God's help. I need to ask God to remind me about the important truths that are rooted in the gospel. But to be honest, sometimes I'd rather be angry than pray. Sometimes I'd rather say what my wicked heart wants to say because in that moment, it actually feels better to get my little pound of flesh. But you know, that doesn't satisfy in the end. It feels good for a short moment and then the repercussions of what you've done are clear and it's miserable. So when the Bible calls Christians to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, he's calling you to do something that's humanly abnormal, but empowered by the gospel. The Bible calls Christians, when anger comes pounding at their door, to preach the gospel to their loud emotions to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Would you bow your heads with me? 
I want you to think, church, of these words of stop and think and seek. Stop, think, and, and, and seek. And I want you just to pray through those with me as we close. Some of you are here this morning or you're listening and worshiping at home. And if you're honest, there are things in your heart and life as it relates to anger that you need to stop. Listen to me, you are doing damage in the relationships around you. You are hurting people. You just need to stop. And could you just ask the Lord right now, Lord, what is it? Where's my weak spot? Would you just talk to the Lord about what needs to stop? If you don't know, ask a friend, ask them, hey, honestly, tell me, how do you think I do with anger and where do you see it in my life when it's like really, it's really ungodly? Man, if you have a good friend who will tell you or a spouse will be straight up honest with you, that's a grace. Where is it that you need to stop? What is it that, secondly, you need to think? What lies do you believe that then lead you to sinful anger? Some of you are believing the lie that in order to be happy, you have to be in control. Can you just uncurl your fingers of that and just say, God, I can be happy because you're in control. And then seek. Some of you in your anger have actually stopped praying and stopped seeking God. You're angry and it's affected the way in which your soul is being shaped. And could you just recommit your heart today to say, I, I'm gonna lean in, I'm gonna intentionally pray, even if it's a short moment, I'm gonna spend some time in the word. I need to get the promises of the scripture into my soul because the gravitational pull of my heart and the culture is pulling me towards anger. And then finally, would you thank Jesus that by his grace, he can help you stop and think and seek because he's the all-powerful king of kings, ready to give you everything you need. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you that in your mercy and in your kindness that there is hope for us as you bring your healing to our wounded and angry hearts. Thank you that you absorb the wrath of God and face the ultimate injustice in order so that we might be justified. So Lord, help us to hold our lives, our names, our reputations, our desires, our wants loosely and to keep entrusting ourselves to the one who judges justly. Lord, help us this week, we pray, by your strength to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.